<laughs> uh, there's nothing snarky about saying have a great life. At least that's not how we mean it here. I want to welcome everybody who's online as well. So uh, we want to just talk about what does it take to have a great 2021. And for me, I honestly have to say, I think we need a little snow in the mix. So if it's going to be cold, we ought to get something else out of this. So any of you who are praying types of people, uh, if you're watching online, join me in praying for this. Don't curse me. Pray that we get some snow. I want you to have a great life. And we're looking at this. We're looking at God's word. We're looking at the Bible to say, how do you have a great life? What is the teaching for us? So last week as we started off, we were in Second Peter. You can go there very quickly. We're not going to be there for a long time today. But we just asked the question, what is it that makes us good people? When we commit to Jesus Christ, what does that process look like? And Peter lays it out very clearly. He says, uh, by his divine power, verse 3, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. So it's, it's like God has already given you everything, but he hasn't done all the work for you. There's a partnership here. It's, there's something that you do. God's given you these wonderful promises. He's given you the ability to become a good person. But you look down here in verse 5. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. You and I have a part to play in our growth, in our becoming more mature as our uh, community grows. There's part for us to do. And you go down to verse 8. He's told some things that we need to do at the end of it. He says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 10, he just caps it off. He says, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove you are really among those whom God has chosen. And so there is this partnership. God does all the heavy lifting to make us into good people. But there's a part for us to play. I want to be really careful to make sure that we all understand and agree to this, that the Bible doesn't say that, okay, you're a Christian, but now you better make sure you do everything exactly right so that you don't lose your salvation as though you got to earn enough points to keep it in, in state. It doesn't work like that. What Peter is saying is once you become a Christian, God's calling you towards something better, and you just work really hard to make that happen. Don't resist God. It's not that you're just going to sin so much that God gets tired of you and kicks you out, but can you imagine that there'd be a point in your life where you were on fire for God at one point, but then eventually you just don't do all the things that help you grow in your faith, and there comes a time when you just simply don't care about God anymore. As sad as that is, you know what a wonderful thing it was to have Jesus in your life, and yet you get to the point where you just don't care anymore, and you, because of your own free will, choose to walk away from him. That's more what Peter's talking about. Just make every effort to, to move forward towards what God's called you to, and not just kind of lag back to the point where you return to the life that Jesus saved you out of, and you just don't even care anymore. So we want to talk about how do we move forward in that. Today, I want to talk about the place of praying and, and Bible reading and Bible study can play in that. If you having a great life and becoming a godly person uh, and I understand, I don't have to convince you that time in this, time in prayer is something that a Christian should do. I think you kind of know that. At the same time, in my experience, for a whole lot of Christians, there's just a lot of angst, anxiety, and guilt around the idea of praying and Bible reading because you may feel like, I just don't do it as often as I should. I will go for a length of time and realize, I haven't prayed for, I don't know how long. I haven't read my Bible. The only time I read the Bible is when I'm at church. So I get it that we can feel a lot of... Um, uh, mixed feelings about this. And having said that, though, I think that this is something where you can definitely find success in your life because the, the core foundation of growing towards God is knowing what he wants. Peter said that, like, the foundation is your faith in God, and to that you add goodness, and then you add knowledge. Uh, and then you need to add self-control. And those come through learning God's word and praying to him. So how do we do this? Well, let's just acknowledge that this is a hard thing for a lot of people. Uh, so we just even take it out of the, the realm of spirituality because I, I think what I'd say is just 
the fact that you have a hard time praying and being consistent with, with time with God isn't a sign that you're a bad Christian as much as it's just a sign that you're a normal human being. Spirituality is not the only area that we find it difficult to do the right things that we know we should do, right? How about athleticism? I don't know if you knew this or not. Let's go back before the pandemic because that doesn't count. Back in 2018, how much do you think Americans spent on athletics and sports? I'll go ahead and tell you because it was shocked. I didn't, I underestimated. $265 billion. That's with a B. That's a quarter of a trillion dollars on things like uh, sports classes and fitness and sporting events and uh, sports and recreation apparel and footwear, related technology like smartwatches. We're spending a quarter of a trillion dollars on this. We are actually number one in the world in terms of spending on sports. Now, with all this winning, where do you think we rank in the world in terms of actual athletic endeavors? I already know what you're going to say just by you laughing. We are 143rd in the world in terms of actual physical exercise. I am so embarrassed to say that. 40%, almost half of all Americans fail to meet the minimum what was it? It was something like 150 minutes a week of just moderate exercise. You just walk 30 minutes a day for five days. You can still take two days off just to hit the minimum requirement. And most of us don't even do that, much less 75 minutes a week of vigorous exercise. So we're, we're spending a lot of money to look like we're fit. We're spending a lot of money and putting a lot of attention into appearing to be athletic, and, and yet we're not really doing it. What's going on here? There's an article in Outside Magazine. It said it this way. This is a way to avoid facing the reality that what really matters for our health is simply showing up and doing the work. Not thinking about it, not talking about it, just doing it. And so you're probably thinking, well, this is great. Now I feel guilty that I don't pray enough, I don't read my Bible enough, and I don't exercise enough. Thank you, Brian. That's awesome. Glad I came to church today. You're welcome. <laughs> what I'm just trying to illustrate here is we struggle in a lot of ways to make good, healthy, positive choices. And there are some reasons for that. There's some reasons that we can look at and figure out. I don't want to just leave you there. I want you to get on the plus side of this. I want to show you some ways that you can actually put some good, healthy, positive attitudes into your life. And have, Because here's the thing. We talked about this last week. When you're trying to add new, good, to healthy things to your life, you're, you're going to have to overcome your existing routines and habits. As I pointed out last week, your habits outdo your intentions. You can have all the goals in the world, but what you're already committed to doing, what you've already taught yourself to do, is going to override that. This is fascinating to me. Research out of Duke University recently showed that fully 40% of what you and I do in a day, we did it without even thinking about it. There was no conscious decision. It's just part of a routine, which is why, like for me, I can back my car out of the garage into the road and be halfway to the office before I go like, where am I going? I was supposed to be going to Target, not the office, but the routine took over. For you, maybe it's like you've swore you're gonna quit smoking and yet you find a cigarette in your fingers again. Or for me, it's a, a I swore I was giving up soda and yet here I am at QT putting Diet Mountain Dew in the cup again. The routine takes over. So the thought is, if you're going to have to, if you want to add some new uh, growth and maturity into your life, you're going to have to develop some new habits. If you want to become a godly person, you need to develop some godly habits, some new routines. About 600 years before Jesus was born there, and early on in his life, his country was invaded by another foreign army. The Babylonian Empire came in and just pretty much wiped everything out. You've probably heard about this in world history if you've had that class, and they took all the people they didn't kill, they just deported to Babylon. Daniel was probably the child of a high-ranking official in the government. 
so what they did with all these kids who were, you know, prince and princesses was Babylon just took them back to Babylon, put them in the academy there, made them learn the new language and the new sciences and everything, and made them government officials in their new administration. And Daniel was one of those guys. He very early on showed himself to be very talented and rose to the top. Somewhere in Daniel's later life, probably in his 60s or 70s, the Medes and the Persians did to the Babylonians what they did to Israel. They conquered Babylon. And now Daniel is in another government. And in that situation, he again rose to the top. Listen to this, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. He appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to make him, uh, to place him over the entire empire. So I think you can figure out what's going on here. So Daniel is just an incredibly sharp, talented person. And so he was recognized as a talent very immediately. So Darius divides up his kingdom in 120 regions, 120 governors, and then there's three people that administrate all those 120 governors. Daniel is one of them. And the king decides, I like Daniel so much, I'm going to, in effect, make him king. He's going to be at the top of the org chart. Everybody's going to answer to him. And King Darius is going to go play golf or water skiing or whatever kings did back then. And it was, you look at that, why was Daniel like that? Well, we're going to find the secret to some of his success here in a little bit. Just want you to see what happens. Next, verse 4. The other administrators and the high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding something to accuse Daniel with will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Okay, so let's just stop there for a second. Why in the world are they going after him? There's a little bit of professional jealousy there. They probably wanted the job for themselves. I think there's a little bit of a racism component here. They didn't like him because he was Jewish. At the end of the day, they're trying to figure out how can we take him out so that we can be the ones in charge. And they were really having a hard time of it because Daniel just did everything right. He did things with integrity. He was a hard worker. He was never questioned in anything he did because he just made wise choices. So they realized, well, if we're going to get him, it's going to be something with his religion. They concocted a plan and took it to the king without Daniel knowing about it. He went, Darius, I, this is how I just envisioned it happening. You've just conquered all these people from all these different countries. You need a way to get their loyalty. Here's what we propose. You make a rule that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to anyone else, any person or any other god except for you. For 30 days, these people will have to show their loyalty to you. At the end of the 30 days, they can pray to whoever they want again. They did that because they knew Daniel was not going to pray to anyone but God. They knew they had him. So they took the plan to King Darius. He agreed to it, and now Daniel's stuck. But look what Daniel did next. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual. Catch that. He went down as usual to his upper stairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. And then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So what did Daniel do routinely? Not one time a day, not two times a day, not three times a day. Well, it was three times a day, wasn't it? Yeah. He, he prayed. He didn't wait till there was nothing good to watch on Netflix. He didn't wait till he didn't have anything else to do. It was a part of his daily routine to just pray. I think that this was 
big foundation to all the other successful things that he has saw and did in his life. I think it was the key to his character development, that he had this habit that he had developed early on, that he just consistently prayed and sought out God. If you want to change your life, I would advise you to do what Daniel did, to establish a daily time of prayer and make it a routine and a habit for yourself. Your, um, your quiet time can become what author Charles Duhigg calls a keystone habit. It's where one thing goes right for you and you establish one habit and out of that you add other things to it. It becomes the place where I'm having success in this area and it makes me feel successful and therefore it bleeds over and spills over into other areas of your life. I don't know about you, but I find that to be true. Like when I start getting more physically fit and I'm exercising regularly, I feel good and I find I'm more disciplined in other areas of my life. For you, maybe it's you, you quit some bad habit or you got your finances in order and you got your taxes done early or something. Something went right and you routinely do it, and that becomes a keystone habit. It's something you can build on. So that's, as we talk about how do I build a habit of my own personal prayer time, and how do I build a habit and a routine around reading God's word, it can be the cornerstone or the keystone that helps you see uh, good changes in other areas of your life. So here, how do you do that? Let me just give you two suggestions. If you want to write them down, you can. These have just come out of some research about habit development. The first thing I would advise you is link your quiet time habit to a habit that you already have. Just think of something you already do without even thinking about it, and that becomes the keystone that you attach your new habit of Bible reading and prayer to. And it, it works very simply. Just think about this question. What is something you already do every day that you don't think about? You just do. You, you don't have to say it out loud, but you know, I, I get up every morning. I drink coffee every morning. I, you know, I put the kids to bed every night. Whatever it is, think of something you already do routinely. Now, here's the sentence. Before or after I do that thing you just thought of, I will pray. I will read my Bible. For me, here's what it looks like. When I wake up in the morning, I wake up every day like you do. That's just my time that works for me. Before I do anything else, the moment I'm awake, I just start praying. And then... If it's not light out yet, I might get my headlamp or get my Bible and go somewhere where I can turn the light on and read that, or I might read it a little bit later. But that's the first thing I do. For you, it might work. For you, it might be after I've turned the coffee maker on, I will go sit by the window and I will read my Bible and pray. Uh, when I'm at work, before I get out of the car, I will have a, time, a quick time of prayer. After I put the kids to bed, I'll grab my Bible and I'll have a quick time of reading and prayer. You know, before I watch the news, after I play this game, whatever it is, just something you do routinely, you're tying a new habit to it, and it really will help it stick. And uh, this routine can become a part of your life very quickly if you let it. Here's another idea I've got for you, and I, I do this one too. Maybe set an alarm for yourself. I have an appointment in my calendar. And I've been doing this for years now. It, every day at noon, it just says pray. I got the idea from Daniel, actually. I'm not up to praying consistently like 9, 3, and 6 o'clock or whatever his times were. I pray a lot through the day, but I always like that time at 12 o'clock. And that appointment's been going off for years. I can't tell you how many times it still surprises me. Oh, is it 12 o'clock? So it really does help me to go, okay, I, and I might be in the middle of a meeting or a conversation right when my alarm goes off, but as soon as I can after that, I just have another prayer time. So maybe that works for you. Another thing you might want to consider is if you've got the Bible app on your phone, you can sign up for a Bible study through that, and you can have an email, you a reminder, and a prayer verse every, every day. So that, if that works for you, do that. Uh, just some things like that can get you moving forward, something that just jogs your memory until it becomes something you don't even have to think about anymore. 
you might want to consider even sometimes praying with another person or meeting with another person. Uh, there's a great thing that happens every Sunday morning here. It's new at 9.15 in the living room. We have a group of people that get together and pray. And you can come be part of that. And you don't have to be an expert prayer to be part of that. You just come to that. Or like, there's a group of us that gets together every Thursday morning, and we, we study the Bible. We, we read together things. We, we pray and talk a lot and drink coffee. Maybe you find a few people like that that you get together. It's just like an encouragement. This is what we do. This is how we grow. Here, here's another thing I would advise you, not only to find a habit and link your new habit to it. If you're going to create a time of prayer and Bible study, you need to make it easy and obvious that it's time to do that. Create a routine that's easy and obvious. This is what Jesus was teaching us. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And what I would like about that, and when he's talking about that, is that he just has the assumption that if you follow him, that you're going to pray. He said, when you pray. He just assumes that you know enough that I don't know enough, and I'm going to have to seek God's help and guidance to become this person he wants me to be. So when you pray, go, go in your closet. Just go somewhere where you're not going to be distracted, where you're not going to be tempted to show off and say, hey, look at me, I'm praying again. I am such a religious person. And just, just go get into that closet, go to that place. Maybe it's in your car, maybe it's your walk-in closet. I don't know, just find a place. And the thing itself, will, that place itself will be like the trigger that reminds you, okay, I'm here now, it's time to pray. Everything about that will, over time, just reinforce the idea, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to read my Bible. For me, I just, I can't read my Bible and pray when there's other distractions around. I, you know, with the, in the living room with the TV going, I'm going to be watching TV. I'm not going to be praying, so I have to go somewhere quiet. I don't know for you if this works or not to, to be on your phone to read your Bible. It doesn't work for me because I will inevitably get a text or something, and then or I'll think of something I need to do, and I'll just pop in real quick so I can I'll tell myself it's just so I can get it off my mind, and I inevitably am just you know, like on Facebook or something. So it doesn't really work for me to read my Bible in there. I prefer to just read the analog, the paper version. But if that works for you, do that. Just whatever it is that is easy and routine for you. And uh, you'll find that it works. Just find something that makes it obvious to you as well. Like, for example, for me, it's having my Bible sitting on my nightstand. So when I wake up, I see it. Maybe you put your Bible in your bathroom, or it's sitting in your car. Just something where it's just very easy to do the thing that you know you've already committed to do. I'll give you another idea. We have a prayer list that comes out every week. Uh, all the needs of the Connection Christians that we put out there that are public, we pray for our missionaries. Sign up to get that. Just send me your email and say, I want to be on the prayer list, and we'll get you that. And that could be another reminder. You get something in email that says it's time to pray. Something, so when I was running, and I found this to be really easy, like sometimes uh, I'd have to get up really early to do some of my long training runs, and it'd be like 4.30 in the morning. Now, 9 o'clock at night, Brian says, of course you're going to run tomorrow morning at 4.30. 4.30 in the morning, Brian is like, of course I'm not going to go running. I'm turning the alarm off. So what I would do is I would just make it very easy. i just have my clothes laying literally beside the bed. I have the water bottle already filled and waiting by the door. So the alarm goes off. I don't even think about it. I just roll out of bed, put my clothes on, grab the water bottle, go. I'm on the road before I realize I am, and then it's okay. All right, now I know what I'm doing. Just make it easy for yourself to pray. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. And here's another thing. If you are newer to praying, let me just give you a pro tip. Don't say, I'm going to set my alarm for 4 a.m. and pray for two hours. No, you won't. 
Don't say, I'm going to read the entire Bible in January, because you won't. You'll get to Leviticus, and you will hate your life, and you'll wonder what you're doing, and you'll quit. It's like saying, I'm going to start running, so I'm going to go run a 10K right now. No, don't do that. Don't set yourself up for failure. God's not measuring how many lines you read or how many pages you read out of the Bible. Just let's start the habit. If you're new to this, pick a page and just read a little bit of it. And say a few words to God. Spend a little time meditating and listening. I think when you're trying to start a habit, the most important thing you can do is make it easy, make it obvious, and just get a consistent pattern going. What if next week you came back to church and go, I got a seven-day streak going. I don't know how much, you know, you did, and I don't care. It's the fact that you showed up. It was the fact that you opened yourself up to God, that you were willing to listen to him, the willingness to just humble yourself and say, God, in this conversation, I don't even know what to say to you all the time. Don't feel like you have to have all these magical words to say. Just start talking and listen. And one of the ways you listen is by reading the word of God because there's so much wisdom in there for you, and he wants to, he wants to show you what he's doing in your life. And, and here's what I can encourage you with. I'll just go ahead and put this over here. You may feel like you're starting down here. You may feel like there's just so many things that have to change in my life that I don't even know where to start. That's okay. God does. And if you'll just be willing to make the appointment, be willing to show up, be willing to open yourself up to whatever he tells you, and do it again tomorrow, and do it the next day. You may not notice it in the moment. I guarantee you there will come a time in the near future where somebody's going to say to you, I don't know what you're doing, but keep doing it because you are changing. There may be a moment when you realize, wow, I used to be bothered by that, but I'm not anymore. I used to be tempted by that, but I don't feel as strong a pull as it used to have on me. You will find, like God has promised to change you. God has promised to grow you. He has promised to make you mature. He's doing all the heavy lifting, and you're just cooperating. And if you'll just simply agree to make a new routine and a new habit in your life and make a place for him, I guarantee you, you're going to find, you may find that it's years of praying, years of reading the Bible. And, and I wish that, I, this is a whole different sermon, I wish sometimes that all of us would write down what we're thinking in the moment, because I, I guarantee if you could go back and read what you were thinking five years ago, you'd go like, wow, I didn't even remember that that used to be a problem for me. But you'll give thanks to God for all the things he's changed in your life, the ways that you've grown. And I've, I got a special word for some of you who, you're, you're not new to prayer. You've been around the, the block a long time with God, and maybe you just feel like you've been riding the prayer roller coaster. I've been really good at it, and then I've not been so good at it. I don't think God's judging you. Just get back on. Today is a new day. It's a chance to start fresh with him, to have a conversation with him. And he's waiting. He's not waiting there just so he can slam the door in your face. Our Heavenly Father loves us, and he wants you to enter the life that he's called you to. And I, I need to say something else. Considering the year we had... I understand that a lot of people just don't feel like praying. And, and I've talked to some people who just feel like everything's dried up and withered and, um, you know, just don't know if I really want to talk to God right now. Okay. Talk to God and tell him that. 
you'll get through this time. In fact, it may be that God's using this time to develop those things in your life that couldn't have come any other way, but that you would have just trusted him and walked the journey with him. So there's, there's nothing more important I can tell you other than to trust Jesus as Lord of your life than to have this daily conversation with him. And so here's what I know from the research. It takes about, what, 60, 66 days to develop a habit? Here's what I know. If you'll just start now, commit yourself to showing up every day, before we get to St. Patrick's Day, you will have developed a, a habit you won't even have to think about. And prayer and Bible study will be a part of your life. Come on, let's get to praying together. Let me pray for you right now, actually. Father, I thank you that you listen to us when we pray, that you hear all the things that we say, and whether or not you say yes, no, not now, that you do care. And so we are just coming before you, and we're laying our anxieties and our concerns before you. We're bringing you to the things that we don't know what to do with, the things we can't fix. We're asking you to, to take things in our lives and make them better. I pray that you will fill everyone here with a passion and enthusiasm for you and the life you've called us to, that the people who have good intentions today, that you'll bring them to fulfillment, that we'll look back next week, next month, next year, and say, yes, uh, it wasn't me, it's clearly God, that you did something in our lives, that you worked out things that we never could have on our own. I pray that you'll continue to make this church a place where people feel like they're drawn closer to you, that people feel connected. Jesus, thank you for giving us your life and your example. And I pray that anyone who is far from you will realize they can come home. I want to say thank you for the way that you protect us. And sometimes you don't. It doesn't seem like you protect us, but we know that you're still with us even in the difficult times. So I pray that you will bring a, just a sense that it's going to be okay, that we'll experience your mercy and your grace when we need it. I ask for you to help people who are grieving, for you to help people who are hurting and who are sick and don't know what else to do. In everything, we learn to just rely on the love you have for us. I'm so thankful for that, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for coming today, and if you're newer, I'd love to meet you. My name's Brian, and with this love, as Scott said in his communion talk, we want to help people get connected to each other and Jesus. So if there's anything we can help you in that regard, we'd love to have that conversation. No matter where you are in your journey, we want to help you move one step closer to God and other people. Uh, thank you for coming today. I'd invite you to stand as we close with our blessing. May the love of God the Father and uh, the encouragement of Jesus Christ and the peace of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen? Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.